I was told a couple of times that I'd have to watch my height, that that might be something that could affect my chance at a career, professional career. And that really scared me. And I remember like going to the doctor and you check your height and all of your things that they need to check up on. And I would always be afraid at what this, what it would say, how tall I was. And I just got sick of worrying about that because I can't change that. And in fact, it is actually an asset to me. This is Unforgettable Moments, a podcast by Forever New. The moments that shape our lives can fly past in the blink of an eye. The time we fell in love, the moment we decided to forge our own path. Each moment special, yet too often forgotten, as we hustle towards the next milestone. In a world where everyone's rushing to get ahead and create change, we ask, how can we pause and reflect on the moments that made us the women we are today? I'm Michelle Akidnor from The Peers Project, show producer and host. And in this four-part series, we go behind the curtain into a pivotal moment of a reputable woman's life and discover how it shaped them into who they've become today. Our guest today is the beautiful and talented Isabel Dashwood, an Australian ballet dancer. Isabel was born in Toowoomba, Queensland, where she grew up in a family of dancers and started dancing at the age of six. After years of training and receiving bountiful support from her family, Isabel won a full ballet scholarship in Melbourne and had to leave her beloved hometown at just 15 years old. Since then, Isabel's career has soared to tremendous heights, much like her passion for dance. She has received an award for excellence in classical and character dance, went on exchange to the National Ballet School of Canada, performed as Aurora and the Lilac Fairy in The Sleeping Beauty, and was one of six nominees for the prestigious Telstra Ballet Dancer Awards. Today, on this special International Women's Day episode, Isabel takes us behind the curtain of a pivotal moment of her life, the time she collected her courage and moved away from her hometown, all for the love of dance. I grew up in Toowoomba in Queensland. It's a small town an hour and a half west of Brisbane. I'm one of five children, so I'm the middle child. I've got two older sisters, a younger brother and a younger sister. And it was a very normal childhood for me, like going to school and just loved being with my family. We all are very, very close still. And I did ballet because my mum is a ballet teacher and my older sisters were taking ballet classes. And of course, like every other younger sister just wanted to be exactly like them. So followed along. Yeah, I think growing up there was, it's a smaller town. There was always such a sense of community and family. So it was a really great place to grow up. I really appreciate my childhood looking back on it now. Growing up in the country, it's just so different to city life and the hustle and bustle and whatnot. What did, you know, apart from dance, what did you love to do with your family when you grew up? Like we loved the beach and being outdoors together and like Sunday brunches, we'd all make pancakes and bacon and eggs and just, I don't know, just being together. Like when I think back, I can't even really pinpoint one specific activity that we love to do together. We just enjoy each other's company. And like I said, there's five of us children and it's very entertaining when we're all together. We've all got very different personalities and obviously a big age difference between my oldest sister and my younger sister. There's 15 years between them. So 
a range of different, I guess, areas growing up as well. And we all kind of teach each other things all the time. So it's, it's very funny when we're all together still now, especially I think now as adults and Lily, Sophia, my youngest sister is now 13. So she keeps us all young and up with what's happening on TikTok and Instagram and everything. But yeah, I think we're very close and we just really enjoy supporting each other and doing whatever we want to do together. Mm. I love that. I think when a family is so close and when you're you're close with your siblings, yeah. it makes such a difference to, I guess, how you go about your daily life, your hobbies. And I think for you, obviously, dance, you said your older sister, you kind of looked up to her and all that, both of them and kind of thought, oh, I'd love to do like dance and whatnot. Talk to us about what dance meant to you in the early years. It was always a hobby of mine. Like I just enjoyed going and moving my body. I really thought of it as that, just that, a hobby. I actually went through a phase where I hated being dropped off and left. Like I hated that mum left me at ballet class, like when she wasn't teaching me. And I cried a lot. I was like, I don't want to go. And there was one day I remember it was pouring rain and the tin roof of the ballet studio was so loud. I'm pretty sure I cried so much the teacher called mum and I had to get picked up and we got hot chips on the way home and I was a happy kid. (laughs) Um, So I've grown a lot since then because I, when I was a bit older, I think I was 12 and I had this moment where I realised I think I am pretty good at this or I really actually enjoy doing this and I grew more and more passionate about it and I couldn't imagine a life without it and that was a moment I realised I want to try and pursue this as a career and make something of it artistically and, yeah, I think that was a turning point for me where I realised I really am in love with doing this. Oh, huge. (laughs) It's so amazing that you were able to find your things at such a young age. It's crazy. You know, I feel like so many of us today are still, we're navigating, we're trying to figure out what it is we enjoy, what we're passionate about. When you were 12, I think you said, did you make that conscious decision to go, okay, great, this is what I'm most passionate about. I'm just going to do whatever it takes. Was it a conscious thing or did you just keep doing it to the point where it just became your career? I definitely thought to myself, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to my goals. And yeah, there was a never a moment where I thought that it was possibly not something I would end up doing. I I really, like I knew there would be challenges, but I, I really tried to imagine myself in a company or where I wanted to be. And yeah, I I'd never thought, what else could I do? Like I just wanted to do ballet, which I guess is a little bit narrow-minded if, you know, if you don't have what it takes. But I guess at the time as well, you're like, I'll think about that when it happens, which is still how it is now. I'll just keep doing it until I can't. Amazing. I think, yeah, it's just so cool to hear. I think something I'm interested to know is what does training entail? If you're looking to become a professional ballet dancer, you're like, what did you do? Did you do extra hours? What? What does it look like? There's definitely a moment as you get probably to that 12, 13-year-old stage where your training does need to increase. It's like any elite sport or athlete, how they build up their training a lot more when they get to that level. And so the after-school classes were no longer enough for me. I I wanted more. I genuinely didn't want to waste time at school. I was like, I want to be in the studio practicing. And But of course, education is very important. So I persisted with that as well thank god and um 
I ended up doing more private lessons, so more one-on-one coaching, and I would do early mornings before school, and I'd travel to Brisbane. Eventually, when I was 15, I travelled three times a week to do three full-time days there. So slowly I started building up my hours and doing more intense ballet and more competitions, and you end up doing different sorts of things, so like variations on point, which is like solos on point from certain ballets, or they'll you know, solos that are created on you and different styles within ballet. So more contemporary as well is really good to have because in companies now they're constantly doing contemporary work as well as classical work. So you're just building on your knowledge already. And yeah, that was about 14. I started to really ramp up my hours and just train harder and longer. 14 sounds just like such a young age. Yeah. It's amazing that even by 15 you were going in and out of the city, Brisbane yeah. was closest. What did your parents think of this? Did they just support you all the way? Did they think, wow, she wants to do this full on, we've got to make sure this happens? Like what was that discussion like? They were incredibly supportive and I think they just saw that I had a really deep hunger for it and they wanted to nurture that. There was always the question about, going full-time and when is that right and having to maintain an education at the same time, where's the best place to do that? Because it is hard, like a lot of kids do distance education, which I did for a year before I moved to Melbourne. And that is really difficult because essentially you're doing school away from a school environment and a lot of it relies on your own diligence and doing your own schoolwork, following the lessons online, which is now amazing with technology, like that they can do that. Um, but yeah, my parents, they, they did lots of research on all of that. And they really, I think, just saw how much I was really passionate about it and wanted to make sure that they allowed me to follow my dreams. Yeah. I'm just so grateful to them for that because they've allowed me to be where I am today. So great. A question I've got is, for those of us who aren't as fortunate enough to have really supportive parents and who allow us to chase what we want and go after what we, you know, want to achieve, what advice would you give, you know, to the other amazing women listening about that? You have to have it within yourself, that hunger, and that's really, it must be so difficult to have that lack of support and to feel like you're your own uh I guess, supporting yourself that I just, I really am inspired by people that can do that. I think good on them for continuing to go after what they want and their passions. Um, and I think that's probably the the magic of it is that if you want it hard and uh, bad enough, you really do everything you can to get there. And despite the, you know, the stumps in the road and things that are setbacks to you, there's something inside you that just makes you keep pushing and keep coming back after all those really hard times. So I think if I think just having that passion and knowing that um, good things come and people that work hard, hopefully it it pays off. And yeah, you will reap the rewards if you put in the effort and enjoy every moment of it as well. Such good advice. Um, okay, great. So I want to dive a bit deeper now into the fact that you were considered or you are considered a different type of ballet dancer. So from my understanding, ballet typically requires a certain body type. You know, how did you navigate the challenges of being tall in an in industry where everyone's quite petite? 
Yeah, that's so true. There's definitely this stigma around ballet dancers that they're all petite, skinny. They're all the same height, especially um, in the quarter ballet, which is the group work of the ballet companies. They all end up looking like cut and copy of each other. And that looks amazing on mass, but it is also quite old fashioned now. Like we're in a world that is very quickly progressing and we're breaking so many boundaries lately, which is incredible because there's so much diversity and everyone from all different walks of life has a voice. And I think that that's amazing that in something as old fashioned as ballet, like it's been around a long time and dance and storytelling has been here forever. I think it's really beautiful that there are people from different races and different body types that are being represented. And I feel really lucky and privileged that I'm a very tall dancer. I'm five foot 10, which is extremely tall for a female ballet dancer, that I'm able to still be dancing on stage every night with peers that are, we're all different heights and it doesn't matter because we're together and we're creating art still and it is beautiful. And there's so much of the audience being represented on stage, which is, you know, nice for them to come and see. I mean, there's still obviously an aesthetic line that is required in ballet and like a look, but um, yeah, as far as having that diversity on stage and it's just really beautiful to see that I can still go out there and live my passion and so can someone who's really a lot shorter and it doesn't matter, like we're all just dancing and enjoying ourselves and telling stories. I love your outlook on this, Isabel. It's so... <laughs> it's taken a while for yeah. me to get here. I was going to say, like it's, it's so amazing that now you see it as such a positive thing. In the early days, did you ever struggle with that, with, with the fact that you were taller, with body image? Yeah, I probably just after that age where I started to realise that I loved ballet and wanted to pursue it, I got really fearful that I wouldn't make it, that it would all be taken away from me because I was too tall. And I was told a couple of times that I'd have to watch my height, that that might be something that could affect my chance at a career, professional career. And that really scared me. And I remember like, going to the doctor and you check your height and all of your things that they need to check up on. And I would always be afraid at what this, what it would say, how tall I was. And I just got sick of worrying about that because I can't change that. And in fact, it is actually an asset to me. It's something that makes me unique and stand out. And it did take me a really long time. I got a job and I was quite surprised because I wasn't expecting to get a job so easily I was not sure how my career would go with my height. When I found out, I was like, okay, this is incredible. I've got to make the most of it. And then my first couple of years in the company, I I still remember looking out in the mirror and seeing that I was about half a head taller than the next tallest girl and just my head bopping up in this group of girls all together. And that's not what you're used to seeing in ballet. And so that would make me shy away. And then I feel like it affected my dancing. I would dance smaller or would feel like I shouldn't be there. And then I think I really just got sick of feeling that way. And people kept telling me that it is such a special thing to be different and you do stand out. So why not like own that? And I eventually have come to the realization that I do stand out and I can't help that. That's my bones, my genetics. And I want people to see me on stage like they do because there's the tall girls standing and dancing in front of me. So I want to 
stand out for more than just my height. So I just decided like, I've got to own that height and I've got to make it worthwhile when people see me on the stage. So I'm going to just try and use that as something to push me to work harder and strive to be the best that I can be. So many of us, especially as women, we often see our differences as a bad thing or we look at the fact that we're not the ideal, don't have the ideal credentials or don't look a certain way and we often just shy away, as you said, and we don't appreciate ourselves. What advice would you give to the women listening about that, about learning to embrace our unique points of difference? I just really never want to be like anyone else. I love that I'm unique and I love that that's something that makes me different. And I think people need to embrace that more because if we all walked around like the same version as the person next to you, how boring would that be? I just feel like life is so much more interesting when there's something that differentiates you from the next person. And that's what you want to talk about. When I meet someone, I want to know like what's different about them or how are they different to the last person I met? And if someone is confident about that and if they clearly are embracing that, then that's just really beautiful. And we can teach each other so much about those things that make us all unique. And it might not be something that I can relate to or that I can attain myself, but I can learn about that. And I think that, yeah, it's important we share those things with each other and we embrace them and love them about ourselves and each other. Oh, amazing, Isabel. So look, now I want to move on to the moment, moving away from home. So look, tell us a little bit about where you moved away to at 15 years old and how you felt about that move. I moved from Toowoomba to Melbourne when I was 15 to train at the ballet school. And yeah, it was such a big opportunity for me and a huge move for my family. We all moved to Melbourne because big family, we wanted to be together. And it was, I think at the time I didn't even realise how big it was. Like I, I often look back and I miss parts of it, of living in Toowoomba and think I didn't even really acknowledge that that was such a big transition in my life at the time. I actually was talking to my mum the other day and I was saying that I don't remember thinking that the last time I was leaving that house was it was going to be the last time and that everything would be different and my life has never been the same again. It, I'm a different person to who I was then and that life seems like a long time ago and, of course, I love looking back and those memories will always be there to give me a bit of nostalgia and, and some great moments from my childhood. But now that I look back, I realise that was one of the biggest things anyone can do is just to move move cities. And um, it was a huge thing, but an opportunity I didn't want to miss. And I think it, yeah, it took a lot of courage from my family to do that, uproot our lives and move away from everything that we knew. Um, but Melbourne just was calling. It has such great opportunity and it was an adventure we really wanted to take all together. I love how you call it an adventure. You know, I think so many of us can look at these opportunities or these things that we get that will mean we have to move away and we often think, oh, goodness, like this is not an adventure, this is scary. And talk to us a little bit about the process of applying. Did you apply to different ballet schools? When was the moment you knew Brisbane just what was offered there wasn't going to be enough, that you had to move states or had to move to a city 
talk to us about that. Yeah, so in ballet, around that age, 15, people start to go to full-time ballet schools and often their feeder schools into companies and there's no school like that or company in Brisbane. I always knew it would be Melbourne or overseas. The scholarship that I won, I won it through a competition that I did in Sydney. I won the competition as well as the scholarship to train in Melbourne. And at that time, I wasn't really sure because it was halfway through the year when I won it. I didn't really know where I was going the following year. I think I had two options to go to this school in Melbourne or to do another competition and maybe possibly win a scholarship or a place at a school overseas. And I've always just really loved the idea of dancing in Australia and dancing home for my family and my friends and my country. And when I found out I got that scholarship, I think I thought to myself, this is a good next step. And it felt right for me. It felt like I wouldn't be too far from things that I knew. And I just wanted to take that step initially. And I always knew that if I wasn't happy, I could change Within six months, I like to say, like, nothing's permanent. You can always make a step and make a choice to change something if you're not happy. And I thought that this was a great starting point for me to take the next step in my journey towards this career that I wanted to have. And, yeah, it was probably the right choice for me because I think my personality might not have coped so well had I moved overseas at that age without family and a foreign country The ballet industry, like I said, is really, really tough mentally and physically. So coming to Melbourne and being able to do what I love while still feeling supported and like I was content and fulfilled was just really vital in me getting to where I am today. Hmm. What I'm interested to know is your whole family moved with you to Melbourne. So it was a decision that you all had to make, you know, Was there ever a point where you doubted it all and you just thought, oh, I'm making my whole family have to move, like everyone's moving because of me, all that kind of stuff? Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, it's it was huge. Like I said, one of five children and my two oldest sisters were both at points in their life where they were planning on moving to Melbourne as well for uni or work. And I think my parents knew I wouldn't maybe do so well living on my own in Melbourne. And my youngest siblings were really young. My brother was nine at the time and my sister was six. And they thought, we're such a close family. Why would we split us all up? Like they won't, the younger Charlie and Lily won't know their older sisters. If we do this, they'll grow up without having them in their lives all the time. And I think it was just a really good opportunity to take a step and go on this adventure together and really just stay close and connected. And I have absolutely adored being a part of their lives, watching them grow up. I wouldn't be the person I am today without seeing them go through those those stages of their lives. And they've kept me really grounded in this industry where you can get very out of, you know, a normal headspace. So yeah, it was... I think it was a hard decision and knowing the sacrifices we all made, selling our family home in Toowoomba and leaving what we all knew, yeah, it was a big risk. But I think for our family, it was what was right. And I don't think any of us really regret it, which is very important. Yeah. Wow. Just taking this all in. (laughs) Oh, I love it, Isabel. So 
you now kind of spend time away from your family. I think it's six months on tour and then back home. How is that dynamic? You know, since moving to Melbourne, obviously you've been here for a while now, you know, talk to us a little bit about how you deal with still moving away even today. Yeah. In the company, we tour a lot. So in total, probably six months of the year, I'm away from home. I currently still live with my family, my younger siblings and my mum and dad. And that's, I think it's a great balance for me because when I'm home in Melbourne, I get to be with them and live this very beautiful lifestyle where I'm with my family after work and we, you know, I help Lily with her homework or we go to the beach together and that's really, really nice. And then when I go away on tour, I can be more independent and have a taste of that lifestyle. And tour is very different to living because obviously we're living out of suitcases and in hotel rooms and traveling a lot, but I have a a good balance, I think. And of course I miss them and it's, it's still a tricky lifestyle, but yeah, it is a big part of this industry. And I think that balance is pretty cool that I get to have the best of both worlds. Mm. You mentioned that they keep you grounded, your family keeps you grounded, and that the world of ballet is quite tough. It's a lot to deal with mentally and physically. Talk to us a little bit about that. What what does it entail? Why is it so gruelling? What does it look like? The ballet world is extremely consuming. So you spend so much time focusing on yourself and physically just looking at yourself in a mirror and trying to critique every part of your body and your technique and how you're moving, remembering steps and choreography and making first impressions with choreographers and dancing with colleagues and being physical with each other when we dance together. And there's just so much that goes into every day that is so different from just say an office job or any other person, I guess, that is my age. And I think yeah, it's difficult sometimes to remember that I'm not a fairy in real life as I am on stage some <laughs> nights or it doesn't really matter if I didn't nail that thing in class today, like I'm not perfect. And that's the thing I think we're always striving for perfection, which is so unattainable, but that is what we have to do. We have to keep working hard at getting better every day. And it's important to remember that the pursuit of perfection is enough. You just have to try your hardest and just keep going back for more, but not get so worked up in the fact that you'll never get there. (laughs) It sounds really quite strange, but yeah, that's how you get better every day. And I guess there's that physical side of it, the technical side, but then there's the artistry and the expression, and that is where you feel release and telling the stories and being yourself, but also the character you're portraying on stage and sharing that with an audience that we're all feeling this immense escapism. And that's, I mean, that's why I dance is because it's a place to escape and to find parts of myself I didn't even realise that I had or was needing to feel. And then there's the mental side where you just, yeah, you can be really hard on yourself because you want to be somewhere that you're not or you get frustrated and it's a very tricky balance. But having family around, I find I do go home and I'm like, oh yeah, you got to do your times tables and you've got to cook dinner and 
we're laughing at something silly that we're watching on TV or singing a Disney song and there's just so much that is important outside of the ballet world that I think you have to remember in order to just remain sane. I can only imagine, wow. I think, you know, many of the amazing women listening might be thinking, oh, that sounds slightly, obviously not the same, but sounds a little bit like my work or when I go to work, I have to get into this mindset and it's all, it can be really difficult and I've got people to answer to and stuff that needs to get done. And it can almost be all consuming. You know, what advice would you give to the amazing women listening about finding that space, finding that separation between work and then, you know, actual life and playfulness and fun and family and friends? What advice would you give? I'm still learning how to balance my work life with my real life, well, real life, my social life or my home life. And yeah, I think like just being able to take the time and say, I want to do this. I might be exhausted after a day of work, but I really need to just go grab dinner with a friend or go see that movie. Or most days I just need to go home and sit on the couch for a while or read a book or go to the beach and dip my feet in the water. And you just have to remember that it just takes one push, one step out the door to do those things. Even if you're exhausted, you'll feel better after it. Sometimes I notice when I'm on tour that I do just easily can, I can just go home and do nothing if I'm tired. But when I'm home, I often will tag along with whatever my siblings are doing, or there'll be more of a conversation and it's, it's okay. Like it's easier to do things when there's other people around and I always feel better after doing something like that, especially if it's been a hard day or a hard week and it's easy to sit in the, in the rut if you feel a bit off or a bit tired, but you have to know that it's better for your soul to go and do those things and yeah, just maintain that, that life that really fulfills you outside of work as well. Mm. Okay. So Isabel, Look, we've learned so much from you today already, but as we come to the close of today's episode, I've got a couple of questions for you. And I guess the first one is, what advice would you give to the other women listening about who are contemplating a big move or moving away from home, just like you did, you know, at 15, but maybe now they're 25 or 30, you know, what advice would you give? You just have to take that first step and know that fear will hold you back. But once you get past it, it's probably going to be the greatest adventure ever. And you just don't know how incredible it will be. And like I said before, nothing is permanent. So take that step and try it for six months. And if you're not happy, you can always retrack and, you know, find your place again. But I just think if you feel like something needs to change in your life, you have to have the courage to do it. So I I really just think being courageous and, going after it, because why not? Hmm. And what would you have told your younger self who was just about to leave Queensland for the first time? Just take every moment and really soak it all up. And you're worthy of being where you are and in that position. That's something that you've earned the right to do. And you just have to have confidence in yourself. I think confidence is something I've often struggled with. And knowing that I deserve the things that I work for or that I want to do, like you just have to, yeah, I hope that I still going forward into the future 
maintain that sense of courage and confidence. It's so amazing to hear. And you have just soared to enormous heights, Isabel, and it's so amazing to see that you've been able to overcome those challenges you went through with the moving and then, you know, your height and and the industry and all of that to be sitting here today and kind of recounting your story. It's so cool. Thank you. With today's episode being our International Women's Day episode, I have a final few questions around this. So firstly, what does International Women's Day mean to you? I think it's such an incredible day to honour and support the amazing females that are around the world inspiring and creating and just living their lives unapologetically. Everyone has something to say or something important in their lives. And I just think having a day where we can acknowledge that women as well are really powerful, incredible people. We all have the right to do what we love and to share stories and to teach. And, you know, I think it's just a great honour to be able to build our fellow female friends. How can we better embrace ourselves as women every day? You know, earlier in today's episode, we talked about appreciating ourselves as women. How can we better do that? Loving yourself is really hard. And I I know like that's something that is said so often and just kind of even thrown away, like just you've got to learn to love yourself. But it really is so important that you find things within yourself that you value and that you appreciate and you acknowledge that that's something important and worth worthy of time and care. And yeah, I think you have to just be a friend to yourself. It's easy to knock ourselves down, but without loving yourself, it's really hard to put love out into the world and to put passion and love into things that you do. So it's got to be honest and it's got to be kind. And the last question to do with International Women's Day is, who is your biggest female role model? Oh, I think this is a hard question. I don't think I can just say one. Of course, the females in my family, my mum, my sisters, inspire me every day. They're incredibly strong and inspirational women. And I just, I look up to them all so much. Like my little sister is the coolest person ever. And my older sisters are doing their own things and just the most wise, amazing people. And my mom, like, where would I be without her? But I think I find it really hard to put that label on just one person. I think there's so many aspects of different people that I admire and I want to try and incorporate into my own life. And I think just any woman that's out there doing her thing and embracing all parts of herself and being passionate and creative and kind. Like I just, I think being kind is so important and sharing their own knowledge that's different to the next person. I want to take something from each person that is inspiring and try and incorporate that into my own life. And I hope that each of us can do that and we'll all end up being better for it. Mm. Look, as we circle back to the final question, which is how we finish every episode of the Unforgettable Moments podcast. And that is, why was this moment, moving out of home, truly unforgettable? (laughs) It was unforgettable because I would not be who I am today without it. It was a huge step in my life and it has changed everything for me. I don't know where I would be if it weren't for that 
that move, but I'm really, really grateful for it. And it's taught me so much more than I ever would have imagined, but everyone along the way and every setback and exciting thing that I've gone through has really just led me to be where I am today. And I couldn't be more grateful to do what I love and to share my passion and my art form with other people. And I hope that other people one day will maybe look up to me and feel the same way. Thank you so much for sharing your unforgettable moment with us. Thank you for having me. It's been an honour. Thank you for tuning in to the Unforgettable Moments podcast by Forever New. If you loved going behind the curtain with us and hearing about the pivotal moments that help shape these incredible women, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and share on social media. For updates on new episodes and the upcoming featured women, follow Forever New on Instagram at forevernew underscore official or visit forevernew online at forevernew.com.au.